You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm going through a little bit of magic withdrawal. I wasn't able to draft at all yesterday, so as you know, that's a lot for me. Um, but I'm going to get back in the swing of it today. How are you doing? You poor, poor man. Would you? <laughs> would you like to? I'm going to set the over/under on number of drafts I've done at five point five. You taking the over or are you taking the under? What do you mean? Since we last recorded? Since we last recorded. Wait, what? Oh, it's got to be over that. It is under. I have only done five drafts, sir. Oh my god! And you call yourself a lord of limited? <laughs> I know. It's been this week has been busy. We have had band stuff out the wazoo. Unbelievable. And you edit the podcast, so you've got a lot on your plate. Yep. All right. You want to hop right in and check on the old trophy leaderboard update? Yeah, for sure. Well, I am up to 43 trophies, still at fifth place on the leaderboard. Not close to catching fourth place, but not close to being caught at the moment. I've got 143 drafts. My record is 277 to 131 for a rounded up to 68% win rate. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I've got 23 trophies. I've trophied two of my five drafts that I did, which is nice. I have a total of 86 drafts. My overall record is 170 and 80 for a 67% win rate, I'm assuming. I didn't really actually calculate it out. Oh, that's got to be higher, right? Mm, I doubt it. Oh, I bet it is. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. You talk about something. That's so awkward. What am I supposed to talk about right now? I don't know. 170 divided by 250 is, oh, exactly 0.68. Ooh, bump that up. 68% win rate. All right. So this week for the episode of Lords of Limited, Ben and I thought we would sort of do a check-in on the entire format, sort of a like state of the format address to see we're six weeks deep, right? Trying to see where things are leveling out. And before we get into that, thought like a great way to look at how things have changed from the beginning to now was to check out a draft from the start of the format. Yeah, we're going to take a look at a couple of my drafts. Uh, disclaimer, <laughs> these, <laughs> these are a little embarrassing, so please don't <laughs> please don't crucify me on uh, Twitter or Twitch. We're going to take a look at my second draft of the format and my eighth draft of the format, and I purposely picked ones that were like not good. I had some good drafts at the beginning of the format, too. Yeah. So yeah, take a seat at the round table here, and we'll dive into my second ever draft of the format. Cards <laughs> in contention. Ronus's Stalwart. One and a green for the 2-2 when you exert it gets plus one plus one and can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Puncturing blow, two red red, sorcery speed, deal five damage to target creature and exile it if it died. A couple of deserts, white desert and a green desert, common. Steward of Solidarity, the one and a white for a 2-2 tap exert to make a 1-1 white creature warrior token with vigilance. And River Hoopoo, blue green for the 1-3 flyer, pay five mana, three blue and a green, gain two life and draw a card. Yeah, really interesting. I think if this were now, right, if I open this pack, I would take Hoopoo, though, um, and then we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about the format in general, but I have found that everyone is trying to draft the five-color green decks, so I've, like, first picked Hour of Promise reluctantly because I know I'm going to get cut out of green, and I do. I mean, I haven't really had a green deck come together uh, in the last few days of drafting that I've had. But I would still think that Hoopu is the most powerful first pick here. What about you? That is what I would also take, and I've also experienced the same thing. I actually, on 
stream today, I opened the Locust God, which was awesome. That's the second God I've opened. No, maybe the third or fourth God I've opened. I think I've played with one of each now. But I, this is my first chance I've had to play with a Locust God. And I was thinking that it didn't exactly go into blue-red spells super nicely. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking it wanted to be in like a green base control deck that was splashing it. And I, so I second picked an Oasis Ritualist. And then I just kind of got cut out of green. But I was still in that mindset. And when I actually laid out my deck at the end of it, like my blue-red deck was just better than like my my teamer deck because i had gotten so cut out of green which was really surprising to me yeah so i would take hoopoo here and then i think if i'm not taking hoopoo i'm probably taking steward of solidarity yep that would be that would be my one and two also i would go number one river hoopoo number two steward of solidarity would you like to know what i actually picked i would love to know what you actually picked <laughs> i picked rona's stalwart which would not even be on my radar because you would probably still take Puncturing Blow third, right? I would still take Puncturing Blow third, and I would I would take Deserts over Ronus' Stalwart at this point, unless I was like knew I was White Green Exert. Yeah, that is really where I feel. Or like Red Green, but I think Red Green is still not a good deck personally. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so Ronus' Stalwart first, just all in. So, do, could you can you think back to the beginning of the format about like what you were thinking? Yeah, I was thinking that uh, you know we'd just come from Amonkhet and Gustwalker was totally busted in Amonkhet, and I was thinking Ronus' Stalwart was, like, this set's version of Gustwalker, which it kind of is. It just turned out that the format didn't break that way, and this card is way worse in this format than Gustwalker was in its format. So I think that's where my brain was at when I was making the pick. Yeah. I think that also has to do with, like, generally green is, I think, based around Oasis Ritualist more than it is based around aggression like Ronus' Stalwart. Yep. I would agree. All right, so we got Ronus' Stalwart goof grabbed and what are we going to <laughs> what are we going to do in pack pick two uh pick two cards in contention include uh rampaging hippo four green green for a five six trample with cycling open fire two and a red deals three damage target creature or player instant speed sunset pyramid the two mana artifact that has two tap remove a brick counter from it draw a card it comes with three brick counters and two tap to scry one and river hoopoo pretty interesting here like I think, again, the best card is River Hoopoo, right? I agree. Though I think Open Fire gives it, gives it a run for its money. I think so. But I think, so we should we should do the draft, I think, by what you and I would have first picked, not what I did first pick. So let's say we've already got a River Hoopoo in our pile. What are you picking here? Then it's an easy second River Hoopoo. Yep. Easy second River Hoopoo. That's what I would also done. After taking the Ronus' Stalwart, I took Open Fire here, which I think is defensible. I think that's very defensible, yeah. But not in the context of what I should have done because I shouldn't have had a Ronus' Stalwart in my pile. Onward to pick three. Uh, cards in contention include Spellweaver Eternal, one in a blue for a 2-1 Prowess, Afflict 2, Ronus' Stalwart, one in a green for the 2-2 Exerter, Oasis Ritualist, three in a green for the 2-4 that taps for one man of any color, and Overwhelming Splendor, the eight mana white enchantment that turns everything into 1-1s. Not only does it turn everything into 1-1s, but... The enchanted player can't activate abilities unless they're mana abilities, which is very relevant in this format. Like, they can't even cycle stuff. Yeah, they can't cycle to try to find answers to Overwhelming Splendor. They can't activate if near Deadlands. Like, it just is very crippling. Yep, pretty oppressive. So you've got you've got two River Hoopoos in your pile. Two River Hoopoos in my pile. I'm taking Oasis Ritualist. That's what I would also take, and you would be on track for, like, an insane blue-green ramp deck. Yeah, I think if Ritualist isn't here, Overwhelming Splendor is pretty close second for me. With two River Hoopoo's in your pile? Yeah, because I think that River Hoopoo wants to be 
I'm looking to pick up ritualists and manaliths and, and whatever beneath the sands. Like I want ramp for my hoopoos and I want fixing. So an overwhelming splendor is such a huge payoff card. Yep, I would agree. I think I'm probably on board with that. So if we had two river hoopoos, we'd be on ritualist first, followed by overwhelming splendor. I took Aronis's stalwart number two, getting those gust walkers in my pile. If it's good enough to first pick, it's good enough to third pick for sure. Absolutely, yeah. That was my second draft of the format. We're going to take a look at one other one here before we before we get into the rest of the episode. This draft is eight drafts into the format. Okay. Um, and here is your pack one, pick one. Cards in consideration include a Rampaging Hippo, the four green green for the five six trampler recycling, Desert of the Mindful, the blue desert, Riddle Form, one and a blue for the enchantment that turns into a 3-3 flyer upon casting a non-creature spell. Ramunaf Ruins, the red uncommon desert that you can sack a desert to deal two damage to your opponent. Overcome, three green green, creatures you control get plus two plus two and gain trample until end of turn. And Hour of Revelation, that's the white hour, three white white, white or a wrath, destroy all non-land permanents. This pack is really interesting, I think. So unsurprisingly, after our last episode, I'm probably on riddle form first here what about you i would also be on riddle form first here i think followed by like a close toss-up between ramunap ruins and hour of revelation are you really gonna first pick ramunap ruins over firebrand archer ramunap ruins is really good yeah i think ramunap ruins is better than firebrand archer in the blue red spells deck wow what yeah it's That's so good crazy it closes me. out the game ramunap yeah, ruins I has guess. gone way up for me since the beginning of the format I think it's close and firebrand archer like pigeonholes you into wanting to draft blue red spells whereas ramunap ruins is going to be great in any red deck i think i guess it's still good in like red white or whatever yeah our revelation has gone just steadily down for me because i'm not quite sure it's so such a white commitment and white often doesn't want to be very controlling but i think uh, i would take it second after riddle form here i think so too i think i would go riddle form one hour two ramunap ruins three yeah. Would you like to know what I actually picked? I would love to know what you actually picked. <laughs> I picked Overcome. <laughs> In your defense, this car everyone thought this card was a bomb at the start of the format. And what well, and one nice thing about me, I had a couple drafts where I picked Overcomes early and moved in was that the like the maybe the third episode of the podcast we recorded, I was able to tell the world that Overcome was bad. So that was nice. And I think I figured it out earlier than some other people. Mhm. It only took probably two drafts of picking it highly and playing it in my deck before i was like "Ugh, this card is not good so that was nice but this ended up being a train wreck draft because i thought overcome was good so we've got an overcome in our pile currently and mm -hmm. we are moving on to pack one pick two cards in consideration here include open fire ambuscade two and a green instant target creature you control reaches out punches something plus one plus oh until end of turn also ramunap ruins again inferno jet Five and a red for the sorcery that deals six to an opponent. And Hope Tender, one and a green for the two-two that can pay one, tap it to untap a land, and exert to untap two lands. So I think I am finally around to Ambuscade being the best common over open fire. How do you weigh in on that? I think that's where I am too. I think I've been there for a while. You have, yeah. I'm uh, I'm late to the party, but I'm I want to be a part of that party. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold on firmly to the Bane Whip versus Sand Strangler debate, though. Ooh, I'm not, I'm maybe, not doing maybe that party. this episode is uh, 
is the time to talk about Team Bane Whip and Team Strangler. Maybe it is. We'll, we'll save it for a little later. We'll, we'll save the, save that debate. Um. So yeah. So I think Ambuscade's the best common, and you've got it in the pack. And I do not think that any of the three uncommons left are better than it. So I would be on Ambuscade here. I was also on Ambuscade, obviously because it matches uh, my first color of Overcome. Had you taken Riddle Form, what would you be on here? Had I taken Riddle Form, I would take Open Fire. I would also have taken Open Fire and look, been looking to draft Blue Red spells. Yeah. Which is what you do if you first pick Riddle Form, obviously. <laughs> All right, on to pack one, pick three. Cards in consideration here include Oketra's Avenger, one and a white for the three one that can exert to prevent all combat damage to it. Bitterbow Sharpshooters, four and a green for the four four Vigilance Reach. Steward of Solidarity, one and a white for the two two tap to exert, create a one one white warrior token with Vigilance. And If Near Deadlands, the black uncommon land uh, that sacks a desert to give something minus two, minus two. So you've got Overcome and you've got Ambuscade. I think If Near Deadlands is the most powerful card in this pack. I agree. So if I had gone Overcome Ambuscade, I would be on If Near Deadlands. Yeah, I think so. If I'm on Riddle Form Open Fire, I still probably take Deadlands. Like, But I, if there was like a Spellweaver Eternal in this pack, I could see taking that instead. But like Unsummon is the card that slots into that deck the best and uh, out of this pack, and I don't think I want to third pick that and like pigeonhole myself right it's just too much weaker than if near deadlands yeah after going overcome ambuscade i took oketra's avenger <laughs> which i think is even worse than steward of solitary yeah I think if, it you've, is. if you've got an overcome in your pile which is yeah just, yeah i don't know i don't know what i was thinking there it seems <laughs> seems bad i think maybe this was after the episode that we talked about how awesome oketra's avenger was probably so i was like yeah oketra's avenger maybe it wasn't yeah. even then i don't know I mean, the start of the format, people, I think, maybe were just, like, branching out, trying a bunch of things, and those red-white exert decks were just beating down for me. Like, I was trophying so much with them. Yep. So I also, I think, would be on If Near Deadlands there with you. And then pick four here. Assuming we've still got Riddle Form, and then Open Fire, and then If Near Deadlands. Those are the Mm -hmm. three cards we've got in our pool. Pick four here. Cards in consideration include survivor's encampment uh, the desert that can tap a creature and add one man of any color to your mana pool or add a colorless another oketra's avenger even of enduring hope four and a white for the three three flyer when it enters the battlefield you gain three life and maybe a, a strategic planning one in a blue uh, look at the top three cards of your library put one of them in your hand and the rest into your graveyard i think that's relevant for the version of this draft where you have riddle form open fire because that's probably what you take Yep, I think so. But with If Near Deadlands, I mean, there's not a very strong card in this pack for that for that green-black deck that you may be trying to cobble together. But Survivor's Encampment has proved good for both of us over the past few weeks. And it's a desert for Deadlands, and it slots in if you are going a multicolor green deck. So I'd probably be fine going Overcome, Ambuscade, Deadlands, Encampment. Yeah, uh, I think that's what I would also do. On my original draft, we went Overcome, Ambuscade, Oketra's Avenger, and I followed that up here with another Oketra's Avenger. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, So those are a look at two of my drafts here. Hopefully that wasn't too embarrassing. I think it's really interesting, though, to take a look at the format like this six weeks in. Clearly, I was still stuck in Amonkhet mode a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think like probably around like 10 to 15 drafts in is where I really started to get out of Amonkhet mode a little bit. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because I remember you citing like 
on one of our episodes, you talking about struggling with the format and me being like, just think about it like Amonkhet and that like opening things up for you. But that actually hasn't been the way this format has panned out at all. No, and actually my original take on the common and uncommon set review where I thought it was going to slow down and there were going to be RAS and control was going to be great turned out to be accurate. It just took like three weeks or so for that to settle in and, and actually come to fruition. Yeah, it's been very interesting watching the like, especially because we've been having these sort of weak landmarks to or guideposts throughout the format with the podcast to sort of evaluate how it's changing like we were like all right red white exert is still a real deck week one and then week two we were like wall of forgotten pharaohs is real and you should be taking deserts highly and then week three we were talking about this green the five color green deck and how good the fixing was and then we were talking about blue red spells and how good that deck was and it feels like now those two decks have sort of risen as pretty much the uncontested best two decks of the format would you agree i would absolutely agree with that yeah and i think I think a lot of people think blue-red spells is the number one deck. I'm still on multicolor green as the number one deck with blue-red spells being number two. Now, do you think that it is actually more powerful or do you think it's just like I enjoy playing that deck more than the other one? I think it's actually more powerful. I think like what we talked about with on the blue-red spells deck is true where it's it's great when it comes together. But first of all, I think drafting it is riskier than drafting the five-color green deck, which sounds odd because blue-red spells is only a two-color deck. But mm-hmm. it really needs the exact right proportions of all the enablers and the firebrand archers and spellweavers and removal. And you have to draw those cards in the right order. And then you still fold to like a long list of cards from Hour of Devastation and Amonkhet. Like, yeah. like, like that deck just can't be Blazing Volley. It can't be Cartouche of Ambition. And I think maybe I am a little lower on the deck because it took me so long in the format to start drafting it because I was slow to realize that Riddle Form was insane. That I was. I kept facing it, but not playing it. So I would always be picking those cards, knowing that I was probably going to be matched up against blue red spells at least one point in my three rounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a lot of success against it when I drafted green. So that is still, I think when you're drafting the multicolor green deck, you have to keep in mind that you're probably going to play blue red spells and you have to have tools in your deck to beat it. But I think if you do that, I think the green deck wins most of the time. So I think... This might be a pretty smooth transition, go a little out of order of our show notes and talk about the kinds of decks that because we're finding that five color green and blue red spells are have risen to the the top of the rankings of decks and because of that are being overdrafted. uh, We might want to talk about a few decks that I think if they are open are very good to move into because they often only support one drafter at the table. But if you find that they are the deck that's open for your seat, you can move in and get a pretty good version of this deck. So the first deck on this list that I want to talk about is Blue-Black. Now, you haven't had a lot of experience with this deck. Is that right? No, I, I've never drafted the Blue-Black aggro exert deck. Or not aggro exert deck, the aggro cycling deck, if that's a thing. N- never once had that come together. So I don't... In, in my experience, it's not really an aggro deck. So I think there are a couple ways that you can get into this deck. And it's funny because I think a lot of people, there's a guy who posts on Twitter a lot, comes into Twitch chat a lot, and plays in competitive queues. I think he's second or third in the competitive queue uh, trophy leaderboard, Dustin Stern. And he has been on blue-black from the beginning as one of the best decks in the format. Yeah, I totally I totally didn't know who he was until like two weeks ago, and he's been in my Twitch chat, and I didn't realize that he was that insanely good at draft. Yeah. So I would love to hear his thoughts on this. And he has posted sort of like pick orders and rankings on Twitter. So I would definitely encourage people to go check him out. I think it's D underscore Stern. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me shouting him out here. 
But for me, I find that the two ways that I often get into this deck is one, and this is going to sound ridiculous because it's a rare, but I see if I open or see a uh, abandoned sarcophagus passed to me, this is a card I find that is incredibly powerful and very much worth moving into this deck for. And if I get it fourth or fifth pick, that means that four or five people to my right are not interested in this kind of deck. So I think Abandoned Sarcophagus is a very real reason to get into this deck. And I think Vile Manifestation, the 04 that has, for one and a black, that has two cycling and gets plus one plus O for each card with cycling in your graveyard, is the other reason to get into the deck. So this, I think, we sort of dismissed when we did our like Desert Matters breakdown a few episodes ago. Sort of dismissed this as a Desert Payoff card. And while it isn't inherently a Desert Payoff card, I have overlooked a lot in the first few weeks of the format that this counts with cycled deserts in your graveyard. That it's not just spells, it is cards with cycling on them. Right. I, I think I'm still too low on vile manifestation i i've never had it be good for me and everyone like all the pros are raving about how good it is so i'm i'm sure i'm the one that's wrong here Mm -hmm. but i am just not excited about a vile manifestation so i think the thing to think so the reason i think it's a good payoff for the deck is not because it's like some insane like finisher it's just so very efficient in the deck that it becomes, it's like a real problem. Like it's great on turn two because it scales as the game goes on. And it's a fantastic top deck because late in the game, it's going to be a two mana five, four or whatever. So that's been my experience with the card. Right. I, I saw pros talking about comparing it to Tarmogoyf, like that it's a two mana card that, you know, grows with the game. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's never been that for me. But I've also never had it in like an all in blue black cycling deck. So yeah. I do find when I see a Vile Manifestation late and I'm already sort of maybe in blue or black that I do take that as a signal that this deck is open and I do grab it and try and move in. The third card that I think is a signal for this deck is Consigned to Oblivion. Um, We've talked about this card. I think this card just keeps going up for both of us, often because it can slot into the five-color green deck. But if you can cast both halves of Consigned to Oblivion, this is the one and a blue bounce a non-land permanent and four and a black aftermath to make an opponent discard two cards if you can cast both halves of this card it's fantastic there's so much value bounce is very good in this format on summon just keeps going up for both of us i think so all three of these cards if i see them late or get them in my first pack maybe not consigned to oblivion but that lets me know like maybe this is a deck i want to move into and if no one else is drafting this at your seat you can have a really good version of this deck Two other cards that I think really make this deck tick are Lurching Rock Beasts and Striped River Winders because they're one mana to cycle, each of them. Um, so they really like let you turn through your deck pretty efficiently. And Lurching Rock Beast, not an exciting four drop, but Striped River Winder, if you are, if you do draw it late in the game and you can cast it, it's still a pretty good card to cast. It's seven mana, five, five hexproof. Not the best blue common in the format that perhaps some idiot thought at the start of the format, but <laughs> yeah. uh, still pretty good. I'm sure those two cards are why I've not ended up in this deck because I'm sure those are two of like my least drafted cards in the format overall. <laughs> yeah. I think this is one of the reasons that this deck can be good is because you just get these cards late and they are really good for the deck. Right, right. Because they're the one mana cyclers that are relevant bodies also. Yeah, exactly. Like having a four power thing on turn four is pretty good. Like it's not not embarrassing by any stretch. Now I do think for this deck to be to push into the, like, I'm going to 3-0 with this deck realm, it needs some payoffs from the Amonkhet pack. So this is why I'm a, I am still, you know, I'm hesitant about this deck, but I have found it pretty open the past few days or, like, few drafts that I've done. 
So you do need to grab some ruthless snipers. Those are the easiest because they're uncommon, but you, if they do get opened and you've sort of carved this deck out for your seat, you're going to get past these cards. And Drake Haven as well. And you're probably not getting past, past an Archfiend if someone is in black, but if you can open it, it's great. And if maybe a couple people to your right aren't in black, you have a chance to get past it. Um, but those cards are really the payoffs. I still think that Faith of the Devoted, is that the, the name of that card? The Enchantment? Yeah, the Enchantment. Mm-hmm. That card is still not good enough to main deck. I could see siding it against maybe some aggro-ish matchups or grindy matchups. I don't know, but I, I'm still not sold on Faith of the Devoted being a real card in this deck. But really, if you can get a couple Ruthless Snipers or one Ruthless Sniper in this deck, then you, you really are doing it. And of course, this is a great home for my favorite Wander and Death Scribe of the Mindful Infinite Loop. Oh my god, Wander and Death's so good. Wander and Death's so good, yeah. I, again, just a fantastic addition to this deck. So that's my take on blue black, and I have found that to be that's probably been my most open deck in these past few days of the format, where I feel like multicolored green and blue red is drying up pretty fast. So how I, I don't know why I haven't drafted this deck, but I, I really haven't. So you would say abandoned sarcophagus and vile manifestation are the two cards that lead you into the deck most. Yeah. So sarcoph and I mean sometimes even just like blue black pile at the end of pack one sometimes happens but rarely but yeah it's mostly sarcophagus i'm now just like all like if i see it especially now because i think that that deck is often open um if sarcophagus get sarcophagus gets passed to me or i open it i'm trying to draft this deck and vile manifestation if i see it fourth i'm usually taking it how often do you start your draft off with just like good blue and black cards and then pivot into this style of deck does that ever happen to you yeah, I think like less so because like a lot of the good blue cards are getting taken by the blue red drafter and a lot of the like black removal. I guess maybe not maybe not people maybe people aren't taking torment of venom. That's another reason I think this deck is kind of open is cuz like the best black removal spell and the best black common is tough to cast. Like you can't really splash it unless you've got a couple ritualists in the green deck. So yeah, sometimes you can end up blue black good stuff like grab a vizier and a uh, an eternalizer and a torment and then you're sort of just blue black good stuff and maybe you don't have the cycling payoffs but when i think this deck more so uh which i think is a fine deck but i think this deck more so has synergy when you're doing some cycling nonsense yeah like i mean i've i've played blue black in the format but my my blue black decks always just end up being like i opened some good blue and black rares and drafted mm -hmm. blue black as a result so i i need to i need to try to draft this deck before the format goes away i think you would like this deck just because I, th I think it leads to some like pretty interesting builds and some pretty interesting like draft decisions like oh i'm gonna grab this and this is gonna wheel it's a it's a fun deck i do agree sarcophagus is real i i lost that fairly early on in the format and i've been looking to draft it ever since but it's just never come together for me hmm, interesting all right next deck we're gonna take a look at here is white green um and talk about some of the signal cards this is i i actively like this deck and i'm willing to draft it me too I think the reason that the deck is great is appeal to authority. That card mm -hmm. overperforms. Whatever, whatever, however good you think it is, if you bump it up two notches, that's probably where it should be. It's infinitely better than overrun in the deck. It pushes through damage in a hurry, and a lot of times you can get it late. Sometimes it wheels. Um, so if you see an appeal of, appeal to authority wheel, or you see one sixth or seventh or eighth pick, you should absolutely take it. I think if you've got green cards and look to draft 
green white or if you've got white cards and like draft green white yeah it just steals games from out of nowhere and, and really puts a lot of damage onto your opponent another headliner for the deck is ronus's stalwart that i was picking way too highly early in the format but i think this card in white green is great uh along with oketra's avenger they that's the reason this deck is good because in hour of devastation there's two premium exert two drops mm-hmm. and then also dauntless Aven to combo with them so if you get a dauntless Aven going with either a gust walker or an oketra's avenger or a ronus's stalwart or a hooded brawler uh this deck just has can put tons of damage on your opponent Another card that really goes well in the deck is Steward of Solidarity, seeing a late Steward of Solidarity, because a lot of times green-white is trying to go wide in addition to having exert payoffs, even mm-hmm. even in HOU. Um, so that's a card that lets you make a token every other turn um, and help your board go wide. And then assuming this deck is open, if you've identified that green-white exert slash go wide is open, you get all of the payoffs from AKH that are not as good anymore unless you're in this deck, a la Trial of Solidarity, Takrop Elite, even Inoketra's name in a pinch. And I think this deck probably, again, like we mentioned, only supports one drafter. But if you are the only drafter in this deck, you're probably going to have an insanely focused white-green beatdown deck. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I are perhaps uh, in a different camp than at least some people I've seen on Twitch in our chats. That I'm basically thinking about Ronus' Stalwart and Dauntless Haven as green-white gold cards. Like, not exclusively, but... That I really look at those cards, I'm like, these are best in green-white, and that's where I want them to be. That's how I feel about Ronus' Stalwart. I think Dauntless Aven is also a white-red gold card. I oh, think there's sure, a, there's sure, a white. Sure. So I think Dauntless Aven slots into two decks, like white-green white, white green or white-red very well. Yeah. And I think there's even like some some sort of a tempo-y blue-white deck where Dauntless Aven's okay. I think Dauntless Aven is certainly much more flexible than Ronus' Stalwart. Yeah, just because like Stalwart, there isn't like a green-black aggro deck. Like Stalwart's fine as a two-drop if you need it. But if you really think about what it's trying to do, like you're trying to leverage that exert ability, which is very punishing to a lot of cards in the format, like walls especially. But like it doesn't really slot into a green-black deck or a green-blue deck or a green red deck i mean i guess it does slot into green red but i think i still feel like green red is the worst deck in the format yep almost all of my in my first 15 drafts i probably had like i don't know three or four o2 drops Mm -hmm. and all of them were either green black or green blue aggro decks with ronus's stalwart yeah and it's just not good so that hence like us i think both arriving at the place where ronus's stalwart is a white green gold card and a signal that you should be trying to move into this deck yeah, so like I see those, if you see those late, if you're seeing like Oketra's Avengers and Stalwarts late, then it feels like, oh, maybe green-white is open. And certainly, if you had opened an appeal to authority, you can have that in the back of your head of like, well, if that's going to wheel, and or if you see that card late, that's a, a definitely a signal that this deck is open. Yep, for sure. You want to lead us into the next thing? Yeah, so white-black is another deck that I think really only tries to support one drafter maybe two because i don't actually think how and i forget if i have talked about this on stream or on the podcast before but i don't actually think that white black is trying to be so zombie centric necessarily i think that's definitely a deck that can exist but i've come down to this uh white black deck being a bit more grindy than aggressive i certainly think there is a version of this deck that is a beatdown aggro deck um, but i think that's a bit more reliant on getting some payoffs from the last pack than perhaps you need to be because i do think there's a white black value deck that exists in this format yep i've definitely trophied with white black value several times yeah so i actually just did before we started recording the podcast and it wasn't even a good version of the deck it just sort of survived because there are a lot of tools 
at your disposal if the deck is open to you. Now, I do think cards to look out for that are a signal that at least this color combo is open to you, if not the aggressive zombie version, is Unwavering Mummy and Unconventional Tactics. So the white-black uh, gold uncommon and unconventional tactics is the two and a white uncommon to jump something plus three plus three and flying and then you can get it back for uh, a white mana every time a zombie enters the battlefield under your control yeah and i think tactics is better than mummy in white black would you agree with that so i think for me i think tactics is better if you're slanting aggressive i think unwavering mummy is better if you're slanting a grindy deck why is that because unwavering mummy is requiring you to attack right um, yes, but the life gain on that card, I think, is very relevant. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that, that that's why. But I, I think it's close, and I think they're both signals that this color combo is open for your seat. So I'm always sort of... These are cards like Appeal to Authority, like Vile Manifestation, that I am tracking. Like, if I see them in my first pack, that, like, if I see then some cards later on in the pack, I'm wondering, oh, if I grab this now, is that thing going to wheel because I'm the only person who wants these cards? So I think Mummy and Tactics are the two you want to look out. And to a smaller extent, Mummy Paramount, because I think this is unlike Kenro Eternal, which is the black two-drop zombie. I think that can slot into a number of decks, even though it's an unexciting two-drop in my opinion. But Mummy Paramount really only wants to go into white-black. So I, I sort of think of this as a secret white-black-gold or white black uh, common card you mean you're not on you're not on the forcing mardu zombies plan like your twitch chat well it's just one member of my twitch chat but <laughs> but no i'm not currently a true believer in white red zombies but uh could could be a thing but yeah so those are three cards that i'm, I'm sort of tracking as they go around the table and i think the reason this deck works is for two reasons one black removal is going late i think Currently, a lot of pros have come out about black being the worst color in Hour of Devastation. And so as a result, tor and that Torment of Venom is just like miles above Lethal Sting. And so Lethal Sting is going late, and I think that's a very good removal spell. I also think a reason that this deck works is because of the amount of incidental life gain that white has to offer, and to a lesser extent, black has to offer. So Aven of Enduring Hope, Sunscourge Champion... You got the Cartouche and the Baleful Ahmed in the uh, Amonkhet pack. Solitary Camel is a card that keeps going up for me because deserts are very valuable commodities in this format. Um, so I think you're getting a lot of life gain in this deck that allows you to sort of trade off or race people very effectively um, that leads to this sort of grindy version of the deck. And then, of course, if you're lucky enough, you can receive the zombie payoffs from Amonkhet if you're the only person drafting this. You're getting the Binding Mummies late. You're getting the Lord of the Accursed or the, um, what is it, the white-black uncommon. Is that, that's not Unwavering. Uh, what is that one? I have the, no idea where the worst. Okay, whatever. You, you guys know. You know. <laughs> the Tutu the Drains. That's how it's categorized. That's how yeah. it's categorized in my head. <laughs> right. So uh, those those cards if they get open are probably going to make their way to your seat because no one else wants that by the time you get to the third pack it's some kind of a servant right wayward servant is that it? wayward servant got yes there. we Knew got it all there. along we'll just edit this together and we'll seem like geniuses <laughs> and i think can we just pause for a second I, I just want to give a shout out to lethal sting everyone is hating on this card so much recently and i feel like i'm the only person on the planet that likes it i had a i was building my sealed pool and it had two lethal stings in it mm -hmm. and i had already built built a couple decks and i was showing them to my my twitch chat just today and they were like why are you playing lethal sting well it's bad it's two and a black first of all and it says destroy target creature on it with a, a minor downside it is a cost sometimes you don't have a creature and you want to kill something 
But a minus one, minus one counter on your creature, assuming you have a creature, is not the end of the world. Also, isn't killing creatures unconditionally even more important in sealed than it is in draft? That's what I thought. And then <laughs> on top of that, I had like six or seven or eight creatures that like actively were totally fine, like wearing a minus one, minus one counter, like fan bearer, uh, the wall, feral prowler. Putting I don't a know, counter like, on Wretched Camel is one of my favorite things to do in this white-black grindy deck because it's like, all right, I kill that thing, and I'm going to force you to discard a card. And then you cast Wandering Death and get your Wretched Camel back and rinse and repeat. Oh, my God, because Wandering Death is the mythic common of Amonkhet. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so I've, I've had a lot of success with various builds of this uh, archetype, and I think... I think it, it maybe pushes beyond only supporting one drafter at the table, but you certainly want to figure out what version of white-black is open to your seat when you're drafting this deck. If you are a more aggressive, uh, more zombie-focused bent, or if you are a more mid-range, controly, grindy version of the deck. Yeah, and then we're going to move into our next deck here, which is blue-white. And I'm curious, before we dive in here, what, what in your mind, what does a blue-white deck look like? I think a blue-white deck can do one of two things. Again, I'm going to sort of maybe cop out and talk about, I I think they slot in sort of how white-black does. I think you can have a blue-white skies tempo version of the deck that's like beating down with flyers and leveraging cards like Unsummon and Winds of Rebuke to tempo your opponent out while you're attacking the air, and then also using Sandblast and Farm and Impeccable Timing because you're racing to like be able to kill their attackers on the crackback and then i also think there is a more grindy mid-range version that's taking advantage of the two-for-ones that are inherent in eternalizers and embalmers and leveraging all the incidental life gain that white has to offer yeah i think i think you're spot on with that i've had more success with the like good stuff controlling version of the deck that's trying to stabilize and use flyers to win the game but i've i think blue white in general has been a deck i've had lots of success with like i would say a significant portion of my trophies have come from blue white if i'm just guessing but i feels like at least five or six of my trophies which would be almost 25 percent or something from blue white but i think this deck doesn't get much love because it doesn't have like an easy label to put on it would you say that that's fair i think that's definitely fair and i also think there's not like there aren't easy like hallmark cards for it in terms of like how you get into the deck Right. And like white black, I do agree it's similar to white black in that there's two styles of the deck, but white black you can you can put an easy label on. You can say zombies. There is no right. like I mean you can say blue white skies or blue white flyers, but I don't think that really does the deck justice for what it's trying to do. So mm-hmm. I think blue white wants to I think the best version of blue white is a controlling deck. Functions like a control deck, and I think you're trying to grab flyers, and specifically the most important one is Aven of Enduring Hope because it mm-hmm. gains you three life, which is awesome in the format, and then acts as a threat that your opponent has to deal with. Another great card, specifically in blue-white, that we try to jam into every deck possible because we're sickos, but uh, Vizier of the Anointed. Also, can we pause for a second and talk about that Sweeks Photoshop that you put your face on? That looks so good. You can check my Twitter to check a pretty sweet Tubzier of the Anointed art if you want to see my face on this card art. Yeah, looks totally awesome. Uh, So that plus Embalmers, I think, really, really allows blue-white specifically to grind because there's so many Embalmers and Internalizers in blue-white. Yeah, and then white blue, I think, and specifically white. And this part, this is part of the reason why white black is can also be grindy. White has so much good incidental life gain, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Cards like Sun Scourge Champion and even Camel, if you've got deserts for the three two life linker, just really hose a lot of the aggressive decks in the format and allow you to stabilize and then win with your flyers over the top. 
Uh, and I think white blue also has like, usually when I get into this deck, it's because it's got such premium removal. So I frequently find myself like maybe first picking a desert's hold or, you know, second or third picking an unquenchable thirst and mm -hmm. then blue and white end up being open. And I get cards like sandblast desert's hold unquenchable thirst farm to market and farm to market is an all-star on this deck. It's totally backbreaking. I think farm to market's really good in five color control too, but in blue white, when your opponent kills, if they're under pressure, and they're close to stabilizing and they kill your best threat with farm and they get an untap and cast market and pitch two lands you're just like on the other side of the battlefield you're just thinking geez how am i ever going to win this game yeah so i think i do think farm to market a late farm to market like around pick four or five would be a signal for this deck to really move in um a late vizier the anointed would be a signal to move in on this deck a late sun scourge champion any any great very game impacting blue or white card would lend me to start thinking this deck might be open and then i think if blue and white are open in your seat you're just trying to pick the best cards and build a control deck and also looking out for the tempo version of the deck that does exist with like oketra's avengers and a dauntless haven and some blue removal and tempo along with the flyers to help you race your opponent are there any things then you're hoping to get because we have talked about them from the other archetypes or cards that are like payoffs from Amonkhet that you're looking to get or hoping to grab or that sort of push this deck into the like upper level of its archetype yeah, I think uh, approach of the second son is the first thing that comes to mind. I've already, I've already <laughs> used I mean, sicko. If you're that lucky, I mean, I've already trophied twice with blue white control decks with approach of the second son in them. The card is insanely good and is still insanely good. I like that even in Amonkhet, and it's it's just actually like legit awesome. I think in the new format, mm. so that comes to mind. I think the God, what's the the three white white cycler embalmer flyer? Oh yeah, Oketra's attendant. Oketra's attendant. Thank you. I'm the worst with card names. Uh, that's a great payoff. But I think blue was kind of a unappreciated in triple Amonkhet. And there's just insanely good blue bomb rares and uncommons. Angler Drake. Um, like if, if blue and white are open in your seat in Amonkhet, you're going to get some good cards. Yeah, blue white was one of my favorite decks in Amon in triple Amonkhet. And so I think you're you're certainly, if you've carved this out for your seat, you're going to get hookups. You're going to get Aven Wind Guides. There's a lot of... Oh, that's, yeah, that's the other right. card. Oh, yeah. man. Aven, Aven Wind Guide was wheeling even in triple Amonkhet, like right. going like last five cards sometimes. And it I feel like it always wheels now. Because certainly by that point, like... Who, who else is in the deck but you if you've got these cards, you know? Right. Well, and that one's especially good because it's not quite good enough that the five-color decks want to pick it and splash it, I don't think. Right. Unless you've got other, like, a handful of other embalmers or eternalizers. Right. For sure. Yeah, so we, just along with blue-white there, we talked about how good life gain was. I think both you and I are super high on incidental life gain in the format. And I think the reason that all these good life gain cards exist is one of the reasons that this format has slowed down so much and has turned into a more controlling, grindy format. So do you want to run us through some of these cards here? Yeah, I mean, there's just nothing more backbreaking than... I'm not backbreaking, but just sort of like... It, it, there's Deflating. It, it, deflating is a really visceral word. Thank you for that. Like, there's nothing more deflating than like playing your red-blue aggressive tempo deck or your red-white exert deck, and then your opponent plays Aven of Enduring Hope on turn five. And they're gaining three, and they've got a formidable body. Or, heaven forbid, like, I mean, Sunscourge Champion is twice. Like, then it's like, yeah. now they're gaining two, and I don't really want to kill this thing unless I've got, like, a Ruin Rat. But why do I have a Ruin Rat in my aggressive deck? Like, there's there are these cards that just sort of stonewall or really put pretty big speed bumps in front of 
aggressive archetypes that I think is why, as you said, this format slowed down. So we've talked about the white versions. Well, then can we pause for just a second? Like that's going back to earlier in the episode, we talked about whether five color green is better than blue red spells. And that right there, like this list of cards is why I think five color green is better than blue red spells. Like yeah. if, if you're playing blue red spells and your opponent plays turn three Sunscourge champion, you're just not winning that game. I don't think. It's hard, man. You've got to have puncturing blow, basically. You've got to have puncturing blow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there are tools, but it's 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 deflating. And a card like Sunscourt Champion or even Enduring Hope, like you're trying to leverage your tempo with Unsummon. You don't want to Unsummon a right. card that has an end of the battlefield yeah, life yeah, yeah. gain ability, right? Like, yeah. Or if you're trading for a solitary camel, that's you're not winning that game. So those the white certainly has a lot of it. Sifter Worm is a card that we've been high on from the beginning. That's a huge payoff for the multicolor green deck. But I have found often facing it from the other side of the board, the 7-7 is not the thing I have the problem with. It's the Scry 3 and the Gain Life that is the really upsetting part of that card. Well, it's just everything together because you've still got to deal with the 7-7 eventually. But immediately, the life gain is the problem because you were thinking about, well, how can I close this game out? And then all of a sudden they've got four more life than they had, which makes closing the game out harder. But think about the the times that they played that, and instead if it was a greater sandworm. Like, there's so many times that my opponent played a greater sandworm when they played the sifter worm. Whatever, who cares? I right, can, oh, like, yeah. I can race that, I can get behind that, I can unsummon that. But sifter worm? No, no, no. I'm in big trouble. I agree completely. I think sifter worm would still be busted if it cost seven mana and was, like, a 5-5 five, five trample that had the same effect. Right. Scrounger of Souls, this is a card that I find makes its way a lot into my white-black and my blue-black decks. Like, if I don't have an Aven in my white-black deck, and certainly blue-black doesn't have, if I don't have a black cartouche or a Baleful Omit, I'm looking to run a couple Scrounger of Souls just to have that life gain main deck, because I think that allows these decks to push past the mid-game and get to winning the late game. I agree. Yep. And that card's great out of the sideboard, too. I'm actively looking to pick it up for my sideboard as well. I think the first copy makes my main deck a reasonable amount of time, but Mm -hmm. I've sideboarded in up to three before. Yeah. And then uh, cards out of Amonkhet, Baleful Amit, and Cartouche of Ambition, which I think you and I are both still on as the best black common out of Amonkhet. Both cards are just fantastic sources of life gain that swing the game very heavily in your favor. Yeah. And to everybody that's hating on black, Let's run run through some black commons in Amonkhet real quick. Like, let's mm-hmm. say black's open in your seat an hour of devastation, and yep. black subpar an hour of devastation. In Amonkhet, you have to look forward to black cartouche, mm-hmm. insane, splendid agony, insane, final reward, very good, wander in death, insane. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's always like, when you open hour of glory and hour of devastation, be like, oh man, you gotta take that, and then not being super excited about final reward. Like, let's just all check ourselves for a second. Yeah, that cracks me up too. All right, so I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but I do want to sort of. I felt like I didn't quite articulate this well enough, and I'm looking forward to getting your input as well. But I want to talk about the great land debate of hour of devastation. The great land debate. That sounds very official. It sounds like that reminds me of, oh, God, what was the movie with all the dinosaurs? Uh, the cartoon. What? Oh, my God. The movie. Land Before the land Time. Land Before Time. Yes. That, why does that phrase remind me of the Land Before Time? I don't know, but it definitely does. Great. We may never know, but hopefully Ben will keep us posted why this phrase reminds him of the Land Before Time. So I experience a lot. I mean, you and I both stream most of the decks that we play and draft are decks that we stream in front of Twitch. So we get a lot of feedback from people, and a lot of that feedback I get when 
constructing my mana base is how many lands to run. And I am very much on the side of running more lands in this format than less lands. And I want to talk about why that is and pose a few questions to you. Like when deciding how many lands to run in your deck, you should be considering the following factors, period. How high or low is your curve? Right? What To what mana cost are you trying to get to to cast? Does your curve stop at five? Does it go up to eight? What are you looking to cast? How many cycling lands do you have? This is sort of certainly not going to be a question you can ask in every format, but in this format, you can, right? There are cycling lands at common. How many of them do you have? If you have more of them, you're going to be inclined to play more lands because you are less likely to flood with cycling lands in your deck because you can cycle them away late in the game to find action. How many mana sinks do you have? So not only should you be looking at the converted mana cost of cards in your deck as to how many lands you want to run, like how high is your curve, but how many mana sinks? River Hoopoo is only a blue-green, right? It's only a two converted mana cost card, but it is a huge mana sink. You want as much mana as possible to dump into that thing to gain life and draw cards and keep going through your deck to find more action. And if you have cards in your deck that cycle, I think this is the biggest point of contention in this format, that you know, if you have a lot of one-mana cyclers, like in the blue-black deck, this comes up for me a lot, if you've got Striped River Winders and Lurching Rot Beasts in your deck, are you likely to want to cast the cards that you have in your deck, or are you likely to want to cycle them, right? Like, if you have Rampaging Hippo in your deck, if you're, you want to cast that, right? If you can, you would hope to cast that and not cycle it away for two colorless. Whereas a card like Striped River Winder... I'm mostly considering cycling that card. I'm probably not often going to be able to cast it for seven mana. Right. Well, and that's why Abandoned Sarcophagus is so great in that deck, right? Because you don't have to make that choice. Exactly. You can still run less lands, cycle your Striped River Winders and your Lurching Rot Beast to help you hit your land drops. And then once you hit your land drops, you cast them out of your graveyard. And it's mm -hmm. fantastic. And I think the last question you want to ask yourself is how much card draw do I have? So do you have Hieroglyphic Illumination, Trial of Knowledge, Cartouche of Knowledge, um, Sunset River Pyramid. Hoopoo, Sunset Pyramid, exactly. How, much, how many things do you have that say draw a card on them? Because the more of those you have, the more that missing your land drops is going to be the thing that punishes you and puts you behind in that game. And so you want to run more lands when you have more card draw because, again, it's more things to sink your mana into and more ways to find action and make sure you're going to hit those land drops to get to more spells and mana sinks. So again, look at your curve. How many cycling lands do you have? How many mana sinks do you have? If you have cards that cycle in your deck, how often are you hoping to cycle them? Are they in there to cycle? Are they Scarab Feast? Or are they Rampaging Hippo that you're hope hoping to cast? And how much card draw do you have? And so I think if we look at the baseline of 17 lands for the format, and this, this sort of phrasing came up because I was listening to this past week's episode of Limited Resources with Ben Stark, and he talked about, like, he made the phrase of, is this a 16-land format or an 18-land format? And so I think um, I took that to mean, like, not that it's a format where you always run one or the other, but if 17 is the middle, then what? where does that sort of scale tip? I think this is certainly an 18 land format. I think it tips 18 lands too. I have very rarely run 16 lands and I have run 18 lands a fair number of times. Yeah, I think I think that list of questions you came up with is very great and I think if the answer to those like is frequently on the higher end, like your curve is higher. How many cycling lands? If you have more cycling lands, you want to run more lands, right? Because then you can if you need to hit land drops, you play your cycling lands, but if you don't, you cycle them away. So it's kind of free to run 18 lands if you've got three of them or four of them or cycling lands. 
the more mana sinks you have. Like if the answer to those questions is yes, you should be running more lands. And I think frequently our, I would say both of our Twitch chats and our Twitch chats overlap a lot Mm -hmm. are wanting to run one less land than I would like to run frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Like if I want to run 18, they want to run 17. If I want to run 17, they want to run 16. If I want to run 16, they want to run 15. Uh, I don't think I've ever run 15 lands in this format. Maybe once. I did once, but I'll tell you, if I'm running 15 lands, I'm not happy. I, if you're trying to run 15 lands, and you've, I'm putting cycling lands in my sideboard. Because if I'm running 15 lands, I have a low curve, and I'm trying to go 1-drop, 2-drop, 3-drop. And a tapped land is going to punish me hard in that situation. Right. And I think the 5-color green deck especially wants 18 lands. And, and another thing that you don't have on this list that I think would be a good question to ask mm-hmm. yourself is how many colored sources do I need? Of oh, each that's a fantastic. Yes. But that feels like that feels so basic to me. But yes, that is absolutely correct. So a lot of times, even if even if you don't have some of these components and you're trying to play multiple colors or you're trying to splash, sometimes you just have to play 18 to hit numbers of colored sources. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that frequently comes up from cube drafting. Like a lot of times I find myself in that situation in cube where I just have to run more lands than I might like because I need colored sources to be able to play my busted cards in cube yeah and for me the the shortcut that i often ask myself like if we're talking about questions you can ask yourself to help solve this debate one that i frequently ask myself is how does my deck lose and a lot of times when i'm a controlling deck or i'm a multicolored deck it's not hitting land drops or stumbling on colored sources because your card quality is so high and your power level is so high, which is what should be happening when you're trying to draft multiple colors. Like that's the reason to do it is because you have higher card quality than just a two color deck. So if your individual card quality is high enough, you can afford to run an extra land because the quality of your cards is making up for, like if you flood out a little bit, you're going to have places like you talked about with mana sinks, etc., to dump dump your mana to mitigate the fact that you drew lots of lands. Mm-hmm. I think another reason is there's a lot of, filtering like tormenting voice and if you're if you're running more lands it's hard to articulate i think people think that running more lands is bad especially because of amonkhet where we were trying to run 15 Mm -hmm. or 16 land decks and i think running more lands is good because it means you're going to hit your land drops more consistently and then all you have to do to make your deck great is find cards like Tormenting Voice or the stupid 1-3 from Amonkhet that lets you draw a card, discard a card, like Looting. That's why Looting Tragic great. Lesson. Tragic Lesson, yeah. Cards that, that's why card draw is really good Yeah. when you want to run more lands because it lets you hit your land drops and then filter out the quality of your cards to draw the cards that you want to draw. Yeah. That wasn't very like neatly packaged, but... <laughs> no, I think that was great. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot throughout this format, but it's been prevalent this past week with Blue Black because I've drafted that deck a number of times. And I still, even though I've got a lot of one-mana cyclers, because this deck often ends up having something like a couple Ruthless Snipers, like, that's a mana sink. And if you've got an Abandoned Sarcophagus, you want to get to seven lands so you can play your Striped Riverwinders out of the graveyard. Like, you need to not only look at... You shouldn't only be looking at, well, I've got five one-mana cyclers, I can run 16 lands. But, like, how is that game going to play out? If I'm not able to pay that extra mana on Ruthless Sniper when I cycle a card, I'm bummed. That's like I'm losing value on my one drop there. So I think you really want to look at the whole package and not just one part of it. And I think this format is especially tricky to decide on the number of lands, right? Because, even more so than Amonkhet, because there are cards that cycle, like actual magic cards that cycle, and then there are lands that cycle too, which both work in different directions, Mm -hmm. like tipping the scale. Yeah, for sure. That's very... Yeah, they work in opposite directions, yeah. Right. So the cycling lands make you want to run more lands and cards that 
have cycling that aren't lands make you want to run slightly less lands, right? Because mm-hmm. you're more likely to cycle them and hit your land drops that way. Yeah. So I think if you master how many lands you're supposed to have in your deck in this format, it will probably carry over and seem easier in other formats. Yeah, we won't have cycling. It's not an evergreen mechanic, so you won't see it in every format. But I think remove that from the equation and still ask yourself about your curve, your mana sinks, your card draw. Those are important questions when looking at the number of lands you want to run. Absolutely. All right, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. All right. Uh, Next week, do we have anything on the docket? Well, aren't you competing in a GP next weekend? I am. I'm going to GP Indy, and I'm super pumped about it. It's going to be my first GP ever. I expect a full tournament report next week. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Well, hopefully hopefully that will take the whole episode because I'm going to crush sealed with my one sealed practice <laughs> that yes. I've done so far. Amazing. And I'm going to make it to draft. And obviously I'm going to be great at draft because I'm a Lord of Limited. Yeah. Uh, and we're just going to top eight and get on the pro tour. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. I like the way you think. Yeah, I think for sure. I w- we'll certainly spend some amount of next week's episode talking about your experience at the GP um, and then... We'll see what else we want to fill in from there. Yeah, for sure. And huge thank you to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Uh, It's total gasoline. I love (laughs) our outro music so much. (laughs) When I'm editing the podcast and I get to the part where I'm adding the music into the podcast, I just, every time I stop and I listen to our outro music like three or four times (laughs) because it just makes me so happy. Yeah, it's gas. And Salty Pretzels is streaming now himself editing music. Make sure you go to his channel and check him out streaming. If you are a music buff or not, you will be very entertained there. Totally awesome. Yeah. Can report as a non-music buff. It is still wildly entertaining. Please check him out. If you guys want to get in touch with me or Ben, you can check us out on Twitter and Twitch. Both of us have the same username there. On Twitter, we are at Lord Tupperware. That's me. And Ben is at Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. Both of us can also be found streaming not so much Ben these days most days, but certainly me most days at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware or twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. And I do want to give one shout out. This past Friday, um, I did a little streamer crossover. Uh, Jamie Topples lives in the same city as I do. So I went to her house and joined her stream IRL and it was super fun. So if people aren't checking out her stream already, I highly recommend it. Twitch.tv slash Jamie Topples. Yeah, and absolutely, the VOD is there, and you should go check it out. I watched uh, part of it, and it was very fun. You guys have great chemistry. You were totally awesome. It was a blast. Yeah, it was super fun to do. Yep, yep. If you have feedback about the show or questions, you can email lordsoflimited at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you've got a uh, peck one, pick one that you're not sure about, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show. And if you're enjoying the show, the best thing you can do to help us out right now, I think, is to tell your friends and spread the good word. Yes, please. Word of mouth is certainly the best way to help an up-and-coming podcast like this one. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later.